0: Edible, bakeable, ridiculously delicious. It's dope and it's legit cookie dough. It's also the only kind of dope I encourage my listeners to enjoy. With delicious flavors like Ride or Die, Cookie Monster, my kid's favorite. I think because it's blue and extra delicious. You want s'more and fairy dust? You can buy yours online at dope.com. That's spelled D-O-U-G-H-P dot com. Buy dope, give Hope a portion of every purchase is donated to a mental health and addiction recovery nonprofit. At the time this airs, Kelsey and Dope have donated over 66,000 mental health treatment minutes. That's nothing to sneeze at. Founder Kelsey Morera is a Shark Tank alum, voted to the Forbes 30 under 30, and a recovering alcoholic herself. She is the real deal. Kelsey was kind enough to share her story on the Dismantled Life podcast with me. And Kelsey's episode airs on November 13th. Listen anywhere you grab your podcasts. Treat yourself to some dope. Support Kelsey Marrera. Support Dope. Help drive Kelsey's donated mental health treatment contribution and support the Dismantled Life podcast. Use the code Dismantled Life for 10% off. Buy some dope and help make it a great day. Stay sober. My name is Anthony Cappazzoli, and this is the Dismantled Life Podcast, where we share stories of hope, love, and strength from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of sobriety. These are stories from people just like us who have lived through the pain and made it. Brian Good, the sober coach, and I'm happy to have you back, man. We are talking today about avoiding relapse. I know how hard it is from day to day. I mean, one day could be amazing and no issues at all. And then the next day, something happens and people struggle. And, and I'm one of those people. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that the stretch of time sometimes between those events is getting longer and longer, but you can't ever take it for granted, man. I think you really have to work hard at, at staying on top of your A game the whole time. Let's get into it, man, because I think this is a great topic and one that is something that is near and dear to everybody's heart that is going through this. I want to identify a couple of topics around this. So there's medicine and mental health, old using friends, early recovery and relationships, meetings, and avoiding self-will. So we'll be talking, you know, through those topics Brian, I'm 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 going to ask you. where do you What do you think we should start on this on this really important topic?
1: It's really a no brainer. But when, when you're in rehab, you know it's like seventy five percent of the people are prescribed some type of medication to make themselves feel better, and they get out of treatment and they stop taking it because they don't want to. The big one. And, you know, you stop taking a medication that the doctor is telling you you need to take because you have some type of hmm, chemical imbalance and you stop taking that medicine, you become uncomfortable, miserable, you know, cold, distant. And you start feeling a way that you can't handle, and that you can't control. So you drink and use. Now I am I saying that the whole world needs to be on medication? Of course not. But I'm just saying that from my observation with working with a number of people on Sobercoach.com and doing interventions, I have found that people have chosen to modify their made you know medication on their own and they end up relapsing. You know, connected to that is mental health in general. I I think 30, maybe 40% of the people I've met in rehab and at least 25% of the people that I've uh, done interventions on, I can't talk about my current clients, but I'm saying the past clients, about 25% are dual diagnosis. And, you know, to be under that zone is a real big deal because you're dealing with thoughts and feelings in your head that you are incapable of controlling without outside help. So we have guys that are dealing with the like uphill battle. It isn't just drinking and using, but it's drinking and using a manic depression or depression or schizophrenia. They're trying to cope with all of it at once. And it's borderline impossible. And these individuals, what they need to do is they need to stick with the professionals and stick with the medication. And I mean, every milligram, no modification, Um, you know, constantly seeing a psychiatrist to make sure that, you know, there may be a new medication or a better, better medication for them. You know, that's always been a big worry of mine. I mean, I've called hundreds of mothers up and say, hey, is your son or daughter taking their medication? They're not taking the medication. Okay. Thank you. Get me on the phone with them. That is, it, it is, I'm listing this first because it is the big one.
0: Taking your meds is just, that's the, the that's table stakes. Like you, that's something you just automatically knee jerk reaction have to do at the dosage they give you The at the pace that they tell you, if it's two times a day, it's two times a day, whatever it is. But I, I would agree. I mean, you, you got to work the plan the right way, embrace it and don't give up. Because that, you're, you're putting yourself at a, a huge disadvantage if you add that unnecessarily, that stress to of not taking the meds and then the result of not taking the meds to the mix.
1: Correct. And nobody likes to hear that they're bipolar, you know, and that they're bipolar and that they're also addicted to crack, you know, and, and heroin. But, you know, you have to stick with the whole plan forever.
0: I think when you start to feel better and, and you, you get further along in the process and you talk to the, your doctor and let he or she work with you through maybe the medication process, but you, I think that there needs to be a walk down from that. And I am not a medical doctor in any way, shape, or form. However do it professionally do it well and do it consistently is kind of the, probably the main takeaway there. So the other topic that we discussed that I think is a really good one aside from in addition to rather the medicine and mental health is and this is a big one and I think this is an easy one where people can fall into and I had to really focus on I'm not I'm going to say isolation and I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm saying clear the runway of of old habits and one of the big ones here is old using friends. I had to stay clear of going and not just so the the, the add on to that for me is not just the friends, but I had to make sure I was in the right place to make good choices and avoid old haunts, the bars and whatever it might be. A big thing for me is certain driving routes where I would stop at certain gas stations, go in the bathroom and, and do a couple of key bumps. And I had to stay away from all of that stuff, which I think I lean into that with the old friends concept. So I'll turn it over to you, but I think that that's that's a this is a huge one. People really have to realize that it's not what you're giving up, it's what you're actually giving yourself, and which is the opportunity to succeed. You're not giving up the old friends because they're probably in real terms, and this stings a little bit, they're not your friends. They're people that you used with, and that doesn't make them friends.
1: Right. That doesn't necessarily make them friends. Although, you know, when dealing with relapse prevention. We're talking about people who are likely newcomers and they have not turned that corner long enough and far enough to acknowledge the fact that they have to make drastic life changes. Now, the good news for the listener here today is who, you know, there will be plenty of newcomers that are going to listen to this. Those old friends aren't going anywhere. Okay, if you can walk away from them. And come back later. You can come back when they're better, when you're so strong and solid, which you will be through the help of the program, and even hang out with those friends and not use. But right now, to prevent a relapse, we need to let them go. If you don't let them go, then you're not making time for your new friends. And your new friends are the ones who have been to hell and back just like yourself. And these are the ones that we can relate to. These are the guys and the women in the meetings who know everything that's going on with us. That we can just sit down with them and say, this is what's going on with me. And they can, you know, take you out back and pray with you or run through the steps or get on the phone with a sponsor. You need all the time in the world for people like that. So you can turn that corner. There isn't any time for the old friend. Not to mention the fact that they might not even respect your recovery. Some will, some won't. Don't risk it. Just let them go. I,
0: I think the other side of they don't they might not respect your recovery is because they don't know how to what that means. I mean, they, they're just no they know you how they know you, and in that mold, they're going to behave with and to you the way that they have always behaved. So they're gonna offer you a drink or whatever the hell it is. So yeah, and so I guess what what I'd like to add to that is the takeaway here is it's not always the old friend's fault or just doing what they've always done with you. So you have to avoid them and and manage that process. Put yourself in positions to make good choices, and when you're ready to go there and, and confidently say no, thank you, and avoid taking the drink or the drug, whatever, then you can do that. But I, I agree. So it's not always their fault, and you, you need to coach them up on how you can relate. I've got some friends that you know, they still drink and God bless, you know, and and they know that I, that I am sober. But at first, until they know that or understand that they're like, Hey, can like, I just went to a wedding a couple of weeks ago and some friends that don't know about my sobriety, let's go do a drink. Let's go do a shot or whatever. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sober. Oh. And that was the end of it. It wasn't a big deal, but some of them are like, even pushed a little harder or try. Oh, come on. What one, one shot's not going to kill you. Yes, yes, it will. <laughs> so, you know, you have to be prepared in a superhero kind of way to
1: deal with that. And I also think that old friends um, have a habit of being um, unable to recognize the fact that rehab and that current sobriety is not a punishment; it's a gift. They view it as a punishment because they may have never gone.
0: That's a great way to put it. I like that a lot actually. It it really is a gift and it's definitely not a punishment. It's worth you know, it's funny, um, on this on that topic, I I I do I participate in certain groups on Facebook around sobriety and I just offer some sunshine and love and, and positive vibes to folks that are posting about how many days they've been sober or a bad day or a slip up or or a relapse and and I, there was one this morning that I responded to. I'm not going to give any details about, you know, this specific instance, but I just posted, I said, look, yes, you slipped up, it's, but it's important that you recognize that. Don't look at it like starting over. Look at it like you're continuing your sobriety journey and learn from it and move forward. Like, don't let that be the reason that you go back to using. Everyone's going to do it though. So what what I'm saying is don't let that be the reason that you give up, like just work through it, understand the trigger that got you there or whatever it was and own the slip up and move through it. You know, that, and that was my feedback on, and it's, it's about what happens next. Um, And I, I don't mean to simplify it, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing so for, for sake of time for the listeners here, but that, that's my feedback. And I think people should own in a good way. I slipped up. Why did you slip up? move through it positively, and continue the journey. The number of days sober is, and gulp when I say this, is less important than the mindset about being getting and being sober. So I think, for me at least. The next topic around this is early recovery relationships. And I really like this. You talked about it a moment ago, but I think this is a huge deal towards what I call the seismic shift of things. You change everything. And I think the early, early relationships in recovery are are very, very important.
1: I was just writing about this on a forum last night. I I also have um, a lot of experience getting into a relationship early on opposed to feeling the pain that we need to feel in order to grow and get better. Now, I can assure the listener of one real simple fact whatever individual you attract and that you're attracted to before you work your steps and then the individual that you attract and that you're attracted to after you thoroughly work your steps will be two they'll be from like two different planets okay (laughs) two different planets now if that is too much to swallow right now It's extremely simple. You're trying to stay clean. You're trying to stay sober. You have to work on yourself. Not every day we're going to feel good. If something doesn't feel right, we're supposed to write it down, and we're supposed to blend it into our steps. I mean, we're supposed to do a fourth and a fifth step that is not fun and that is not comfortable but changes our life. And we're supposed to sit down with the sponsor and go over separate little things that happen throughout our life that by getting them off of our chest makes us a better human being for ourselves, for our loved ones, and it prevents relapse because you're getting this stuff off of your chest. So if you're in a relationship, well, I mean, there's nothing to it. You're just numbing yourself with a human being because you don't know any better and you're avoiding the toughest stuff. I when I was in a relationship in early recovery, I mean I had dozens of guys tell me, no, stay away from her, no, no, no. I'm like, yeah, right. Are you kidding me? I'm 23 <laughs> years old, of course I want to be you know? yeah. and uh yeah, you have to learn the hard way. But you know what? I remember my sponsor calling me and having him tell me that I committed to starting the steps with him. And I just blew him off until he stopped calling me. And I just, you know, go sit with my new girlfriend who was also in early recovery. We relapsed after you know maybe five or six months. One more relapse. We both wrecked our lives. There are no relationships in recovery. They say the first year, you know what, however long you need to get your head together and start working on the program and to be in a position to prevent relapse. When you're at that point, you'll know it if you're not lying to yourself. I think we hope if you're not lying to yourself, you'll know when you're healthy enough to get into a relationship.
0: That's sage advice as well. I, you have to focus on yourself and you can't be a slave to two masters in that regard. To simplify it, you just really need to work the process and the steps and, and own that. Don't add complications unnecessarily. And there'll be plenty of time for all of that later. And like you said, the the what you do attract, and I agree, I mean, if, and I think karmic level, spirit level, you know, if you're in a negative place, you'll attract that negative energy. If you're in a positive place, bright and light is what I like to say, uh, you'll, you'll attract that energy and good things begin to happen. And not just with people that you meet, but things in your life and i love that because i think that it's very true I, you know you have and that's the other part of it many of us going through recovery have never taken the time to be good with ourselves take a deep breath take a moment let things slow down a bit there's plenty of stuff to do later it'll come when it needs to come so that's a big deal and don't complicate things keep it simple and avoid until you're ready that relationship so The next topic, relapse prevention, is meetings. What's your take on that? I mean, I know that everyone's got their own cadence, but what do you suggest um, at different stages of recovery around meetings?
1: The 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous has been proven to work over and over and over for, I don't know, 20 or 30 reasons. The one reason that I always try to point out to people is fellowship provides fellowship. You've got your group of friends. You've got people in there who can relate. A lot easier to make it through the day when you have a friend you can call if you're having a problem. People just show up. They'll just show up, you know, at your work and say, hey no 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 don't do that. You know, don't don't go home. Don't do this. You agree not to do that. Well let's go get lunch. I mean, you can only get that in AA. You can't get that working all on your own. So once you start skipping meetings, my opinion, when you're like, you know, you do the 90 and 90, you're going to four or five meetings a week, you've got friends, you're doing the right thing, you're sharing, you're doing service work, which is extremely important. Once once your disease of addiction tells you It starts, you know, like the guy on your right shoulder telling you in your ear, don't go to that meeting tonight. Watch the game, you know, stay home, don't go, skip it. And then you start skipping three or four meetings in a row. That's you're on your way to a relapse.
0: So this morning, for some reason, I just the last couple of days, I've struggled getting up out of bed in the morning to go begin my day, which I get up at 445. I have my morning routine. I get dressed, I head off to boxing and then I walk mile and a half. And then I read. And then the last, for some reason, the last few days, I've struggled with getting my ass out of bed. I don't know why, but that's a big part of my recovery. Like I need to continue doing that because I'm fearful. Like that's, that's the addiction talking, trying to talk me out of working my process, my step, your addiction will try to talk you out of it. Um, and you have to just fight the fight and go forward, work the plan and and go to the meetings and work the work the process is really important. Skipping is at least for me is not an option. I, I have to stay keep my eyes on the prize, as it were.
1: They are extremely important and however many you go to and whatever works, it is what it is. But when you you know tell yourself that you can um, operate your life without these meetings, that's probably the the big one, I think
0: definitely a first step towards a relapse, no doubt, because the fellowship, God, it feels so good, right? When you talk to people that get you and you don't have to explain where you're at, they just know, and they can support you the way that you need to be supported because they've been there. That's huge. And be able to get things off your chest or just hear others in the struggle with you in a, in a positive way. It's, it's a really big deal. Um, so I love that one as well. And the next one, at least for the last one for today is avoiding self-will. I was maybe I'd turn it over to you to describe that a little bit to help people understand what you
1: mean. This is my favorite topic because I spent so many years on the self-will side. They, they state in every meeting and every book surrounding the program that when you're living on self-will and not God's will, when you're living on self-will and not, the will of the group. You are in deep, deep trouble. Now, obviously, if you were to jump into early recovery and jump into a relationship, or if you were to stop going to meetings, or if you want to hang out with old friends, or if you wanted to stop taking the medicine that the doctors are promising you that you need to take, that's self-will, okay? Those are all examples of self-will but to make it real general, us alcoholic addicts for the rest of our lives while we're sober, we don't ever want to bother making our own decisions entirely. as we get older, as we get healthier, as we gain sobriety and we reach our goals and we you know lives you know our lives get better well the whole purpose is to be healthy so we can make better decisions and live a better life. But the backbone of our day, the start of our morning, the root of everything that we're trying to do is based around somebody else's idea and experience, not ours. Okay. If I wake up in the morning and I say, yeah, you know, I'm going to go spend $7,000 at bath pro shop and go, you know, go in late to go in two or three hours late to work. You know, and my wife, who is a very healthy person, says, no, don't do that. You're going to want the money someday. And you also need to be at work to continue helping others. So don't do that. Well, you know, if I'm listening to her, I'm saying no to self-will. The old saying, self-will run wild. It's like right there, page, like uh, the third page of how it works. It you know it really is everything. Even with I've got um, I'm coming on 19 years sober on twelve one oh one and to this day, the vast majority of my day is based around the principles of recovery. Brian Good from SilverCoach.com so- <laughs> from, from, from did not write them. I didn't write them, but I live by them. In my whole life, I'm going to live by them. When you start saying, no, I have it figured out. No, I'm going to do this my way. I'm not going to read my morning meditation. I don't need to bring my book to the meeting. I'll call my sponsor later, even though he called me twice today. That's all self-will. It doesn't work for us ever. And I've met some brilliant people. Very intelligent, very wealthy individuals in those meetings, and none of them live by self will completely. They all have that, they keep that attachment.
0: So, I'm not advocating a relapse in any way, shape, or form, but my question is if one relapses, and you know, people will struggle with that challenge, what's the mental state to help get through it? So, I, because like today was a perfect example, I think it's just a it's serendipitous really that I was posting on this exact topic, on one of the Facebook groups that I that I participate in, about that. And in this person was shameful and said, you know, why should I even worry about this anymore? I failed. So what's what's the self talk or the fellowship speak about that
1: beating yourself up? does absolutely nothing. We're supposed to be drinking and using because we're alcoholics and addicts. That's what we do. At a sober living home in San Diego, when I was 19 years old, an individual named Chris sat across from me after we lost one of our brothers. He actually, you know, he passed away from 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 drinking um, in the sober living home. He said to me that he has always been told that he is more surprised when somebody stays sober, opposed to when you know they pick up. We're supposed to pick up. That's what we do. For every one individual that is in the meeting, that is on the phone with the you know, with their brother, or sister in sobriety, for every one person that has made it, there are like forty or fifty that are never going to make it because they can't talk about. What we just talked about, they can't listen to this show, they can't digest it, and they refuse to allow themselves to relate to it. So, that person shouldn't feel guilty, if anything, they should be proud and just, I mean, just so proud of the fact that they feel bad because if they didn't feel bad, then they would have no chance. The fact that they feel bad and that they know they shouldn't have done that, and that was against their new religion that just means that it's all part of the plan they're going in the right direction and thank God they didn't die
0: the the way that i best describe it to folks i've not yet had a relapse i'm grateful for that and i hope that i don't but i tell people that i have 40 plus years of bad habits to break and to relearn good habits that you know that that's uh, some dedicated effort there for anyone that is learning the new positive routines and habits in their life to not use or drink and it's tough and there's going to be bad days and when you do have a relapse i think it's the most important thing dust yourself off feel bad enough about it to continue staying on the path and work the work the programs i mean don't don't let it be the reason that you give up is the main message here, and, and maybe one that we can end with here, is is that I, I think that, like you said, we're supposed to pick up. We're supposed to drink. That's what we do as addicts and alcoholics. And I think this has been a super helpful and insightful episode, and I, I appreciate how clear and concise you've made it. So I hope this episode is able to help folks out there with their day.
1: Hey, you know, it always helps me to talk about what keeps me alive and Keeps everyone going that I work with. It's great to be here. Anthony, thank you so much, and um, I hope I can come on again someday.